Welcome, 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 Housers, to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite, and so glad that you could join us for another episode, and it will not disappoint. Before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about the two organizations that bring this podcast together. Uh, of course, my organization, Blue Door. Blue Door operates in Durham, in York Region, Peel, and we primarily focus on supporting people in the areas of housing, make sure they're connected to healthcare services and making sure they have meaningful and well-paying employment through our awesome construction social enterprise called Construct. So very cool to be a part of that organization. Shout out to the 100 plus people that are doing the real work at Blue Door, saving and changing lives. We couldn't do this without our incredible partners of the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Uh, they're doing incredible work all the time. That was witnessed a couple months back, uh, just part of what they do, the advocacy piece, where they really uh, helped. There's a decision in Barry uh, where they were going to pass uh, a bylaw that would fine people if they were handing out water or snacks or different things to people experiencing homelessness. Um, and through a, a huge campaign that the Canadian Alliance led, uh, they were able to convince counselors to step back from that. It's a part of what they do. And they, they've led our Vote for Housing campaigns and much, much more. They've really put housing on the map. They've got the ears of government to really push priorities for uh, those experiencing homelessness across the country. As well, they do a ton of training. Uh, they help communities become built for zero communities. If you're not one, you want to become one. Check out their website at caeh.ca. If you want to check out the work at Blue Door, go to bluedoor.ca. Uh, so you could become part of the solution. Now, let's get to today's guest. Now, can I be frank? I can't be frank because Frank is our guest today. I know, terrible dad joke, but I had to make it. Uh, we have Frank Berube from CMHC on today. He's talking, you probably heard a lot about the Housing Accelerator Fund. CMHC over the past few years has introduced all sorts of different programs in an effort to create the 300 are the 3 million homes, I believe, by 2030 that we need to do. Sorry, I actually say in the episode, I think I talked about 300,000, that's wrong. We wanna do 150,000 a year in Ontario, but 3 million by 2030. Um, and progress is slow, so we've gotta introduce different things that are gonna help us get there. Uh, the Housing Accelerator Fund, which Frank uh, talks about, really is an effort to provide some funds and opportunities for municipalities to speed up the process, to remove any barriers to building housing and affordable housing. It's a pay for performance system where they can apply and the more units they develop, the faster they do it. There's different bonuses for being close to transit, for addressing the missing middle, uh, for housing affordability and those types of things. Uh, so you, the more you get close to those goals, uh, the more funds you can get. It's $4 billion that we're putting into accelerating um, housing that we desperately need across the country so frank comes on we talk all about that program how it came about uh, how you apply what the hopes are uh, some examples of things people might apply for uh, we have a great chat i think it was really informative uh, and this is exciting news that we want to get out there so i hope you enjoy it as much as i did let's go to that conversation we asked the same question to all of our guests because it's a very personal question and and there's no right or wrong here Although there are better answers, uh, that is, what does home mean to you? Oh, it's such a great question, and I've been giving it lots of thought, knowing that I was coming on the show here. I think, 
I think for me, home has changed my definition of home. Uh, if you asked me about 10 years ago before I entered this housing space with CMHC, my definition was bricks and mortar, wherever you can afford, some place to live, somewhere to sleep. Um, but it's just so much more, I think, over the last 10 years professionally. I've, I've realized that if you don't have a home, and it can be just the bricks and mortar, it's the foundation piece really for your life. Like I, I, I struggle and I've seen it in my work so far um, in my career is that without a home, people struggle um, unnecessarily. And it's such the foundation piece. You can't work, you can't really have a normal functioning life without a home. So for me, that's, I think has been the biggest takeaway for me. Home is just, your, it's your foundation. It's it's how you're able to live and, and, and function in society. I think it's just so challenging. And I just think about folks that don't have a home and, and I just couldn't imagine. And it's something that I just never reflected on until I was in this space. Um, but it's just that foundational piece where you can function and, and, and go go <clears throat> do your day-to-day -day activities is, is really what home means to me. It's much more than just bricks and mortar. It's that foundation. I, I absolutely love that, uh, Frank. Thanks for that. I love the foundation because it is. Uh, it really, it, it, everything starts at home, ends at home, and everything in between falls at home. So Absolutely. thank you for that. We always want to understand and, and learn a little bit about our guests. Uh, perhaps as much as you're comfortable, just take us on the journey into your work, uh, into the sector at CMHC. Yeah, it's been quite a different journey for me. I'm a CPA, CGA, so I am started my career in accounting, doing working at uh, public accounting, um, you know, that high stress quarter end, month end um, activities. Um, and then I switched to the public service um, uh, about... 15 years ago. Um, it still followed with accounting and finance, but when I joined CMHC about 10 years ago is really where I got into housing and I had never really given it much reflection before. So I had the opportunity with CMHC my first few years there, working very closely on the national housing strategy. So I was um, the lead on the finance side of, of the national housing strategy, working on the numbers and the accounting uh, on the costing uh, of those programs. Um, and then I was really fortunate to switch into um, delivery into the operational deliveries. So um, after working in that finance was helping to set up the NHS programs, I was able to actually deliver the NHS program working with Indigenous and Northern housing clients, where I think it made such a foundational impact on me personally and just seeing and witnessing the impacts our projects would have. Um, so I was able to, um, responsible for the National Housing Co-Investment Fund for all Northern and Indigenous applicants as well as some other programs like SEED and other little programs that we have. Um, and that's really um, how I got really kind of attached to this, the meaningful impact of this work. Um, and then I was fortunate to um, be um, have the opportunity to lead uh, the Housing Accelerator Fund, which I've been in that role for about six months now, um, as we're looking to launch this new program. Amazing. And let's talk more about that. Listen, we know the good folks. Uh, at CMHC are solely focused on, well, not solely, but very much focused on housing affordability. We know that in the national housing strategy, we want to build 300,000 homes, I believe, by 2030. Uh, it's a big target. Currently, say in Ontario, the government has set the, the number at 150,000. We're at about half of that. So lots of work to be done. Yeah. And so we have to look at multiple solutions. And out of this, you know, in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about the Housing Accelerator Fund. Can you talk to us about how this came about? What are the beginnings? What was the process uh, to bringing us to uh, present day? 
Yeah, so this uh, was was created by government as part of budget 2022, so about a year ago um, in the last budget announcements. And I think really the impetus was to look at our, our toolbox of NHS programs. And as you're aware, most of the programs are very focused on individual projects um, specifically. And I believe you have a project on it, with, it, with us, Michael, or in the works with us through our co-investment fund. Um, so this one was really looking at what else could that tool, toolkit of programs do? And this one is very different. Um, it really is more focused on that pre-development activities. So it's really looking to see how we can accelerate housing before we even get to that co-investment or those other programs that we have where you're looking at individual projects. So it's really looking at that systemic changes that we can look at and implement through um, through the cities specifically or for those that control the, the housing process. Um, as far as some of the background, I think, uh, Michael, I should note that the federal government previously did a similar program like this back in 1975 to 1979. They launched a federal housing action program um, back in that time. And obviously the climate was quite different and the economic stimulus was quite different, different at that time. But in that, in that era, they did a municipal incentive grant program, which I found was quite intriguing where they were um, similar to our program at that time. Times have changed where they're looking to provide a thousand dollar incentive um, to cities to create medium density um, and larger unit sizes. So this has been around since the 70s, this concept and idea. So it was run in through the 70s um, with mixed results. And um, now here we are um, 30, 40, 40 years later, trying this type of program again. So I think there's some history there and I think hopefully we'll get some better results this time around. And there was a lot of consultation. I know that there's a task force and senators and different people involved, and you brought in experts. In fact, quick funny story. Um, who was it that was it? Um, I was asked to speak, but the gentleman, I'm trying to think of his name, that spoke uh, before me, who's a housing expert. Just, I mean, he said everything that needed to be said. So I said, just, just listen to him. Uh, oh, nice. But uh, from the University of Ottawa. Um, but uh, but I know there's a lot of consultation done, and this was say budget 2010. Then it was just like there's a lot of work uh, to build up to really know what the heck should this look like. Am I right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we did a call for proposals, and and I think we got around three or four hundred public uh, calls that from just general public uh, responded. Plus, many organizations and uh, politicians went through Huma process as well to get some advice and some form for informing the deliverables of the program. So it's been a, a long journey, but I think we really wanted to make sure that we got it right and really tried to implement all the key elements of the program. I think the program through those consultations evolved a little bit. I think it probably was intended when it was first launched to be really focused on supply, supply, supply. And now we've kind of weaved in some affordable housing um, focuses and a couple other really um, important aspects of the program delivery. But yeah, definitely lots of input and feedback from many participants. And if I understand it, like, and you can tell us how, you know, uh, how, who, you know, uh, who should apply, who can apply, how does it work, the different ins and outs. But it really is, to its name, uh, you're trying to accelerate this by removing some barriers, giving some dollars that they can then put in processes or procedures to remove the barriers to housing being built and affordable housing, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, yeah, correct. Really, it's it's very different than our other programs at CMHC. As you're aware, you know, typically they're very project specific, site specific, um, very focused on individual projects. So we're underwriting, you know, the viability and the DCRs and all the financial metrics associated to individual projects. This one we've kind of taken a whole step back up and, and it's focused on to be eligible for the program. It's open to all municipalities or local governments, so indigenous governments as well. Anybody that controls the land delegation or the land approval base. So we're really looking at how do we increase the approvals of housing? So how do we get permits issued quicker and faster and not go through so much bureaucracy, remove some of that red tape within the cities? Um, that's really the big genesis of it is how can we kind of lay that systemic foundation and really force some some actions on the cities or incent them to take on these actions so that going forward, all these individual site projects that we're looking to support would get approved much quicker and easier and there'd be less hurdles. Um, I believe you have a project on the go, Michael. I heard from one of your previous podcasts, so I'm sure you've encountered you know, the challenges of getting the right permit and the zoning and the bylaws. And, and it's really looking to speed up that um, for all projects, which I think is, is the thing that probably excites me the most about this project, this program is it's going to be like long going, enduring. It's not just an individual project. It's these changes. People will benefit from years to come from the, these changes. It's not going to be finite, which is super exciting to me. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Well, yeah, I think all around, right? You'll you'll hear developers will say, look, like, you know, the longer a project takes us, we have to pass those costs on to the consumer, right? Which could be a nonprofit housing developer like uh, Blue Door, or it could be your, you know, just average citizen. Um, municipalities are saying it's not just about, you could throw a lot of money but if we don't have, so take the city of Toronto, for example, at, at one point I heard, you know, they needed to hire hundreds of planners, right? If planners are in high demand, if you don't have the planners, you can't approve. Um, actually, it was uh, during, the, you know, during the mayoral uh, election, too, there was a lot of talk about, hey, shovels in the ground and that kind of thing that we've got all these projects on the go. Um, but yes, the process to do that is not just as simple as we have the dollars to build housing. It's if it takes three years, those costs go up. And as we've seen in the past the three to five years, costs have substantially gone up through a pandemic mm -hmm. and through supply shortages, et cetera, right? Oh, absolutely. I can think back to my time in the co-investment during COVID. As you can imagine, during that timeline, it was just even the two or three month delays, that additional delays because there was an extra bylaw process or an extra council approval that was required on the projects. A lot of our projects just weren't viable because of that two-month delay. Um, that's how fast the costs were moving during that time frame. So anything that we can do to increase the time, and I think you mentioned Toronto, I think their timelines are 24 to 36 months for approvals for a project. Um, that That's a long time to, um, to work on a project before we can even get the shovels in the ground. So really hoping, big, big hopes for this project, this program to, to, to change that. 
how will we know if it's been successful? So we have the how's the accelerator fund. Let's talk about uh, what are the dollars being allocated to it, and how will we know, um, or how will you like CBC? How will you evaluate saying this is working? And I think I know the answer, but. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll find out if it's working in at least three years. We'll we'll get that first check. So it's a three-year program. We have uh, four billion dollars um, allocated for this program, with with the target of a hundred thousand new units created. So it's not a hundred thousand total. It's incremental units. So we're really pushing the cities to if you in, if you increase your 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 processes, your approval times, how many more houses can you get accomplished within the next three years? Um, so that's kind of the first measure that we'll take with the program. But we're also really curious to see the impact that it's going to have on 10 years timeline. So we really do think that these this initial phase of the program will generate up to 100,000 units, but ongoing it's going to be much more exponential. It's going to take cities a couple years to implement some of these activities and actions that they're changing. Um, but once those are changed, then it's going to the benefits will be ongoing. So we'll be measuring the the, the units that will be created out of this program specifically. Um, and, and again, it's a little bit of a different program given it's only a three-year program. We'll be measuring um, success through the the number of permits issued. So we don't anticipate. It's not like RHI where you needed to create occupancy within 12 or 18 months. We're really looking for those permit issuances and seeing an accelerated rate of permits being issued. Fantastic. Now, every, not all cities are created equally. We have some very small towns. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, in, in my case, in, in York region, Durham region, Peel, it's two tier municipalities. Well, Peel for now. It's two yeah, for now. <laughs> for now. Um, but it's two tier municipalities, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so the process, what is the process people go through and, and uh, to apply? And, and the other piece is, what are some of the things you're looking for? Like, what are some things that you've heard that people would apply for? Is it pretty open or pretty specific around what you're looking for in an application? Yeah, it's a great question. So we have a list of, um, of about 20 or 25 kind of actions that we're encouraging cities to take from. But it is open in the sense that we're really pushing for some innovative approaches as well. So we're being very open. And, and particularly around that point that you made that every city is so different, the small cities versus a, a larger city, their challenges are going to be different. Small city, it's likely not the approval time because they're usually pretty quick through their approvals. It's the other stuff that takes longer. Um, so we do expect quite a bit of a range of applicants. It is open to small rural applicants, indigenous applicants, as well as the large cities as well. So we do anticipate quite a range of activities, um, but it types of things we're looking for, zoning changes, bylaw changes, um, as of right zoning, inclusionary zoning, some of those fundamental systemic changes that are going to be ongoing forever. E-permitting is another kind of example that we'd be hoping to see. If city doesn't have it, then um, it's great opportunity to look for those types of things that will improve the approvals ongoing. Well, with something like uh, secondary suites, so uh, where they've done uh, incentives for Yep. People to put secondary suites in their backyard to increase the amount of housing. Something like that would be something yep. to consider. Yeah, absolutely. As you're familiar with Ontario with Bill 23, there's a lot of mandated requirements to add those secondary suites. So change R1 zoning to R3 zoning and allow for that. What we're hoping to see from this program is people go even further. So rather than just secondary suites and laneways and adding an accessory dwelling, um, rather than having the mandate of three units, let's push that to four units and see if we can really maximize that higher density. 
um, items. We're, we're, we're encouraging and hoping that this fund will allow um, the cities to provide incentives, grant funding, incentive programs to support affordable housing um, developments, or just to support those accessory dwellings as well. Um, as you know, a lot of times, just making the legislative change um, doesn't necessarily drive the results. So we're looking for those extra activities, tack on some pre-design, some, some guidelines so that people know what types of uh, building structures that will be acceptable, add some incentives, add some grants to really accelerate the pace. Yeah, and you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is around rental housing. Uh, pushback sometimes when they say to a builder, rental housing financially uh, to many doesn't make much sense over say building condos where they're paid up front rental yeah. over time maybe there's some incentives in there are program to say if you do that we can make you whole quicker uh, therefore getting more rental built agreed yeah that's the big push and of course from a developer perspective a purpose-built rental is not as profitable as a, a condo for sure there's less margins and and there's, it's a higher rate of return. They'll have to hold that building for longer. So we are really hoping that this program will kind of really push those. And, and we'll be giving some premium points for those activities that are really pushing those limits and encouraging those types of activities. So definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, this is incredible. I mean, so on this podcast and throughout uh, my work, I see there's so many innovative, cool things happening around housing. Because uh, these loose pieces, and my hope would be that the accelerator fund can help tie some of these things together uh, and, and give them the leeway, the rules, the regs to actually make them happen. Right? They've been talking about them for so long, but I'm not able to implement, or we're not able to do it quicker. And, and hopefully, if people take advantage of this uh, amazing new uh, program, maybe that's able to come to fruition. Yeah, agreed. I think, and the way that the funding is going to work on this program, it's really pushing the cities. So from the funding structure, it's not like you're, t it's not a, a fixed rate. It's really based on how many units you can do. So tell us you're going to do this zoning change, this bylaw change. How many extra units is that going to create above what you would normally do if you didn't make these changes? So cities are going to be really incentivized to really push the limits because their funding amount is going to be directly tied to not only the, the amount of incremental units that they can create by making these actions, but we're also paying premiums for type of housing. So um, if you're gonna be um, implementing actions that are gonna increase single housing or you know feed that urban sprawl that we're trying to get out of, um, you won't get the same amount of funding as you would for a housing that's gonna be near rapid transit. That's kind of like the, the peak. If you were to do rapid transit housing that's affordable, then you'll tap into two bonus structures of the payment. So it's really paying for those specific results, which is quite different than other programs. So cities will have three years. That once they sign their contract, they're accepted into the program. They'll have three years to build and, and do these actions. Um, we do anticipate it takes at least a year or two to implement many of these measures. Um, and then we'll be tracking how many additional permits by housing type are being done incrementally. So quite, quite exciting. And, and it really pushes the cities to, to think about how they can accelerate it because they're, 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 their funding is gonna be directly tied to the amount of units they can create. So they're, we're seeing some really creative applications come in where they're really pushing the limits with the funding that they have available to them. It's like kind of pay for uh, performance. It is. It is. Yeah, no, it really is. Like the payment structure is going to be the first couple payments. You get uh, your first quarter payment um, 
at signing the contract. And then we're going to hold the cities accountable to reaching their action plan, their milestone items. So they're all going to submit an action plan and list all the different types of initiatives they're going to take and provide some milestones, completion dates for all their activities. And their payments can be structured on those activities and those bylaws and those processes being changed. Um, or their payment will be adjusted accordingly. So it is really a pay for performance. And then that final payment is where we're going to do that big tally of all the additional units that they created, and we'll pay according to that. So it's really show us the results, and then you'll get the payment. So I think it's huge opportunities to really see that actually happen. It's interesting, too, when you mentioned, like, the different, uh, if you, you know, near rapid uh, transit, if you, it's almost like that, uh, what you read about a lot is it the 15 minute city like yep. everything's within 15 transit whatever yep. and that's the kind of city people want to live in right so you're you're really trying to promote that as well yeah that's one of the big priorities so we have a couple of the like the the overarching federal priorities that we're trying to get out of this program and one of them is exactly that it's really looking at that walkable communities uh, the 15 minute communities other one is really looking at um, inclusive and equitable um, housing as well and then also the climate is always a big concern as well. So those are kind of the three overarching priorities that we're, we're hoping that all initiatives will align within one of those three things. Missing middle is another one. Rapid transit and missing middle are, are the two kind of housing type structures that we see a lot of benefit and, and we're really trying to push the cities to enhance in those two areas. I think you know for many years and people love People are resistant to change, but the whole thing around density, oh, we love our, you know, uh, two-story and we don't, oh, we can't. But the reality is, if we're going to meet the housing demands of our nation, uh, we've got to step a little bit outside our, our comfort zone to get these things done. Yeah, absolutely. Especially around that missing middle space, I think, where there's lots of room to grow, where you see all these large parcels of land with the single units attached and I think there is a little bit of that nimbyism as well where we're hoping that this program will really push the cities to do stuff that maybe they wouldn't like to do um, politically um, but I think the funding will, will, will kind of help them push them in that direction. We, we've got a project right now that's exactly that and uh, so as someone who uh, main priority is to house people we've got this tiny house giant lot and I, I was saying to the team for years and, and our board, it's just irresponsible of us to be have a single tiny home that was never built for that purpose, by the way. It was it was uh, kindly donated to us about 20 years ago. But so we are in the process of taking that house down. And what we're able to put up on that piece of land, 14 stacked townhomes, right? So you talk about like, what could we do? How many of those yeah. are around where you're underusing? And it's not crowded. It's not, it's within the, uh, you know, the, the bylaws of the, the zoning of uh, the town of Newmarket. But I just think how many uh, examples of that are around Canada where we could easily meet our goals if we were just a little more creative and, and worked around that missing middle. Oh, agreed. I think the missile middle is really where we'll get the most bang for it. But I think the rapid transit corridors will get built up just from the developer's perspective. It's convenient. But I think the missing middle one is where I think there's a huge opportunity to really make a dent into our housing supply. Well, everyone wins, too. I think, like, I know not everyone loves it, but if you take down six homes and put up 600 condos, I mean, I don't know, or, or apartments or whatever, you're thinking of the tax base from 600 rather than six, your taxes, you have a better tax base, get more services you get. I mean, 
you know, yeah. so, so everyone kind of wins. I think this is a, a win-win for everyone. This is exciting. If people want to find out more, if people are like, I'm really interested in this as a municipality, I need more information. I know you've done a, uh, CMHC's done a great job of sharing with municipalities across Canada, but if you're just interested as a Canadian or as one of our listeners to learn more, where can they go? Oh, go to our website. I think our, our, the one-stop place is really our CMHC website. And if you go through the CMHC website, um, you go through housing programs available, um, you'll find the housing accelerator fund there and you'll be able to look into all the, the requirements of the program there. And, and timelines around this, Frank. So What's the deadline? When will people find out? What's kind of the timing? Yeah, timelines um, are, are coming up pretty quickly, actually. Our portal's been open for about a month and a half now. So the portal application timeline is going to be closing on August 18th. So in about 10 days, um, where the portal will close down, where we'll start doing our reviews of applications at that point. And then we're hoping to make decisions in um, the fall timeframe. So October, November timeframe, um, hoping so that we can get that uh, started as soon as possible. Very cool. Well, Frank, thank you to you and the team at CMHC uh, for I know this did not come without so much hard work and thought that you put behind this. Excited to see where it goes. Uh, you heard that, some tight uh, timelines of municipalities. Let's get on it. Let's take advantage of this amazing opportunity to accelerate housing. Uh, Frank, So much. For, uh, thank you so much for the work you do and for joining us today. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me and let, giving me the opportunity to speak about it. Appreciate it. No problem. You're welcome anytime, Frank. We'll see you soon. Thank you. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.